at this psalm in, in closer detail. This psalm I've entitled, A Praise for, for God's Deliverance. And even the title, interestingly enough, um, the Hebrew title is there. It says, A Psalm of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, or probably what that means, that's probably Achish. Some of your versions may show that. Um, Abimelech can be a more general um, name for he who is king. So this is, this is probably Achish, who drove him away, and he departed. And in the Hebrew, that would be considered, well, actually, in the, in the modern Hebrew Bible, in the original Hebrew Scriptures, there weren't verse numbers. But in the Hebrew Bible today, that actually is verse number one, is that title, because it was a part of the, of the psalm and when it was written, and it gives us some information. Now, we're not going to get into a lot of detail about that episode because we're taking on the life of David on Wednesday nights, and we're going to get to this incident very soon. So I'm going to kind of leave it a little bit of a mystery, all right? But you remember, as we, we get to this point in David's story, let's remember the themes of uh, this psalm as David really pours out his heart here. Let's, let me just ask you a question as we begin. What is one of your worst nightmares or one of your worst nightmare scenarios? We all have them. We think what would be the worst possible thing that could happen to me or the most embarrassing or the most fearful situation that I could face in this life? And certainly as we look at our world today and things are so dark and we can feel the persecution and the oppression, right? Um, hearing more and more about this whole situation in Afghanistan and uh, people that are over there, Christians and, and Americans, and trying to find a way out. Um, and it, it's people that are actually trying to go in and rescue these folks. Amazing. Uh, veterans from our military that aren't in the service anymore going over. You probably heard of some of these stories. It's remarkable. These people going over to rescue and it's very scary. And we're facing a lot of scary developments in our world today, aren't we? A lot of things where we just kind of sometimes shake our heads and say, Lord, what's going on? What's going to happen to us next? It can make us very fearful. Uh, sometimes we look at, at what we're facing and saying our, our worst fears are realized in, in a lot of ways. As we see the um, destruction of, of our country um, and all that's going on. And David reminds us here, too, in a very fearful situation that he faced, he found himself in a predicament that he had not anticipated. And we mentioned last Wednesday night in talking about David, he is, um, he is about ready to enter a time in his life where really nothing that none of his expectations are met. And he finds himself in situations that he never expected. And this is one of those. He writes this psalm after the Lord delivers him, something that was very humbling that the Lord delivered him from. And he was very fearful in the midst of this, probably almost in a panicked state in what he was going through. And yet God delivered him from this. And so the <laughs> reminder is, as we work through this psalm, Psalms 30, Psalm 34, that God will deliver his people when we seek his help. When we go to him, don't try to take on your terror, your fear on your own, but God will deliver. And then, folks, when he does, be ready to praise him. 
That's what you're going to see in this psalm is David's praise and thanksgiving for the deliverance that God has given him. He's grateful. Be ready to praise him when he does deliver. Expect that he will help and praise him in all things. Now, interestingly, David, um, you don't see this in the psalm the way that it's written, but this is actually in the Hebrew is written in a type of acrostic where um, the first word of each verse starts with a letter in the Hebrew alphabet from, as we would say in our alphabet, from A to Z. Now, they don't have a Z per se in Hebrew. They really don't have an A either. But uh, it follows through, and it's remarkable. And then there's also continual themes woven woven through this psalm. And yet he really wrote this kind of, this was his psalm or his song on the run. (laughs) The Lord delivers him, and he's on his way. He's being pursued by King Saul. In the midst of this, he uses the skills God has given him to write a remarkable psalm that continues to encourage us today. Uh, it kind of is a reminder for me that no matter even what we're facing, even under stressful, difficult situations, we can still take time to meditate on God. If David can do it on the run, on, on, with people pursuing him, the enemy pursuing him, then we can certainly do that too. And it was a good reminder to me as well. We're going to see here a praise for God's deliverance. And we should praise God for his deliverance, certainly. And that's what he says. We'll read verses one through three here. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Lord, let that be our heartbeat tonight. I know that many are not feeling well, and we're glad that many are able to still join us on Zoom. And But as far as numbers tonight, we're small in number, but let us have hearts that are ready to praise you and that we can, as Village Chapel Baptist Church, exalt your name together as we meditate on your words. We've already done that in song. Lord, and our hearts have sung together your praises. And now may we do that in our hearts as we meditate on your word and reflect on its truths and be a grateful people in the midst of what we admit, Lord, is dark and fearful times. No doubt about that. Help us to depend on you and then to rejoice in seeing your mighty arm in our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We need to praise God for his deliverance, expect his deliverance in the midst of whatever we're facing and praise him. And then the psalmist here in the first three verses is even before he gives us more of an idea of how God delivered him, he just starts out with, folks, we need to worship God all the time. We need to worship him continually. And the psalmist David, he's been the recipient of great deliverance and mercy in this situation with Achish, the king of the Philistines. And the Lord has uh, uh, delivered him in a miraculous way. And he is so thankful for God's mercy in his life that he declares, I am committed to praising God, to giving him glory, regardless of any of the circumstances in my life. I'm reminded again of God's deliverance and mercy. And so whatever comes, I'm going to make sure that I'm continually praising 
the Lord, the Lord that uh, in the Hebrew, that word is Yahweh, the God of Israel, also our God as well. In verse one, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Five different words here in the beginning of the psalm used for praise. This first one, I will bless. Bless refers to a recognition of a powerful individual or one that is fully capable of abundant provision. This isn't, David isn't saying somehow that he pronounces blessing upon the Lord. The Lord doesn't need his blessing. But what the Lord, what David is saying is here, I recognize that the Yahweh is all powerful as the God of Israel, and he is fully capable of abundant provision, and he has provided for me the deliverance that I needed. That verb bless has that idea. And he says, so I will bless and worship and praise the Lord for his deliverance at all times. I will have a spirit that's ready to praise him throughout whatever I face, right? Second there, the word is praise. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And the second word praise is a related form of that Hebrew word we all know, hallelujah. It's not quite hallelujah, but it's a form of this word. And that reflects praise and glory given to God for his abundant provision. Boy, I can't think, but uh, I can't help, excuse me, but think back to this morning. What is the ultimate provision that God has given us? His son, Jesus Christ. And we saw that in the gospel of John this morning. And Jesus said, I will give God glory. It's the most important thing to me, even in sacrificing my life. And David points out here as well that above all things that he will worship, he will praise and give God glory. And that will always be ready to come out of his mouth. Um, we, a lot of, we, we have a lot of things that as we're thinking through and sometimes we can get angry about things. And unfortunately, when we're angry, we can have a lot of things that are ready to come out of our mouths that aren't always helpful or aren't always um, soothing in a situation. And there's a lot of things that come out of our mouths just automatically that we forget to put a filter on. But folks, really, we ought to have a praise filter on our lives, on our mouths, that whatever God allows into our lives, we're going to praise and we're going to give God glory regardless, because we trust that much in his provision and his deliverance. And so David, again, a um, one of Israel's greatest worship leaders, so to speak, um, and as king leading the people, writing these psalms and leading them in worship, uh, we can see that praise is certainly a top priority for David. And he continues, verse two, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. Now, normally we don't encourage boasting, right? It's not a good thing. Uh, we have a situation in our, our boys still love to play Legos and we have a lot of Legos around the house. Legos find their way everywhere and woe to the person who is in bare feet. When we find those scattered Legos at the places where they're not supposed to be, those things can be painful and they can downright hurt. Um, but our boys love to play these Legos and the Lord has blessed us through the gifts of multiple people with a lot of them. We have these bins and they love to sit down and they make things. I've been catching 
some of them recently, though. You know, boys are competitive, right? Is anybody surprised by that? And these boys love to make these tanks and planes, and they really get into this. And some of the things they make are remarkable. But the problem is they get into every so often. Yeah, and this is why mine is better than yours. And, of course, when you hear that, you have to explain why, you know, yours, mine is better than yours. And this is why. And then it continues on. And sometimes it can get um, a little intense, the argument. And mom and dad have to step in and say, boys, that, you know, that mom and dad saying, they're both really good. They're both nice. So stop boasting. Don't be prideful, but just be thankful for what the Lord has given you. We're not supposed to boast. But here, boasting is encouraged. This is the one time because this is the boasting of the humble. And the psalmist David encourages this. He has been humbled recently in this situation that he's in. What is the boast of the humble? Not, I am so humble and so lowly that you can learn from me. That's not the boast. But the boast of the humble is boasting in the humble's God, the humble person's God. That is the boast of the humble. And the humble, this actual word boast is in the Hebrew, an official declaration of why someone is worthy of praise and worship, not why my, uh, my own self or yourself is worthy of praise and adoration, but why God is worthy. Yahweh is worthy of all praise and adoration. And if that's your heart, then go boast away, boast all you want in the Lord. And David says here, boast in him, the humble. And here we have that that second part of this verse then, as this boasting is going on about God's, um, his praise, his worthiness of praise and worship, the humble, the truly humble that have seen their need for God, they will hear that boast and that praise. And it says here, be glad. And that's certainly what it means. But really, it almost has the idea of a spontaneous joy that when someone hears the praise of their God, and they they understand as well as being humbled and being weak and dependent, what, the, what their God has done for them, that it's, they just rejoice automatically. It brings joy and gladness to their lives to think on all that God has done for them. It makes them glad. They experience spontaneous joy as God is being worshiped and praised. And folks, as we sing the songs and, and worship him in our church services, we should have that kind of joy and um, gladness that we, we are so thankful for all that God has done for us that it just erupts and, oh, wonderful, another opportunity to praise the Lord in song. I can't wait. And gladness for that. That is the thing that the humble loves to hear. The humble loves to sing God's praises. And that's an important thing for us to remember as well. And then he calls us to magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Not just me, David says, but I want everyone to magnify his name. I want us all to do this together. This word magnify is very important. It has the central meaning of making someone great or important. Well, if we apply that here, what is David saying? Is he saying, oh, folks, make the Lord great with me. Help make him important. Well, God doesn't need our help in being great. He already is great, right? So what really is 
um, David saying here, God doesn't need us to magnify him in that sense. He doesn't need us to make him, make him great. But this relates to our appreciation of his greatness, of his majesty, and then our responsibility to make it known to others, to proclaim, in other words, how important God is, not to make him important, but in its essence, help others understand his greatness and his importance. And David says, do this with me, magnify, proclaim of God's greatness and importance to all those around us that need to hear of that, so that all of us can exalt his name together. Exalting God involves giving him the prominence, the height, so to speak, the high altar that he deserves in our lives, exalting him, making sure that he always comes first, that he's number one. I thought of a game that I played as a child called King on the Mountain. And I, I had I was the oldest of four or three, no, four brothers. Um, boy, when you get 50, just the memory just disappears. I know you don't understand that yet, Floyd, but you will. <laughs> um, the oldest of four boys. And every so often when we were playing, I think it was out, out back at our church, there would come a tractor that had made a huge a mound of dirt or there was a hill or something where we were at when we found it. It was always exciting. Yeah, guys, you know what that means, right? It's time to play king on the mountain. Let's go. And that worked out real well too. Cause when we were younger, I was the tallest and the oldest, I was the oldest and the tallest. So I won most of those rounds, but all of a sudden when I, as soon as I got older, my brothers got taller and then it wasn't as much fun anymore. Nah, I don't want to play that game anymore. But we would play. But whenever there was another kid involved that obviously took the game even, was more obsessed and took it much more seriously than even we did. You know, it's fun when you have somebody that can kind of match your strength and you know you can get the better of them. You can push them off and say, I'm king on the mountain. When you get some another kid that's a little bigger and a little more intense and you know that you probably don't have a chance of winning, at that point, it's not so exciting to play king on the mountain. And like, you know what, guys, I'm done with this game. Let's go home. <laughs> but that drive to be the one that is the highest, the king, the one that um, is the victor, the conqueror. Well, that little example there, really, folks, what, what um, David is saying here is that God should always be king of our mountain. He should be king of the mountain in our lives. He ought to have that height and that importance that no one should be higher, placed higher than God. Exalt him. Praise his name. I'm reminded a very practical application of this that even I myself, I will admit, sometimes um, this, this uh, becomes trite to me or it doesn't have as much concern. I get so used to it. And probably you do too. And that is when you hear somebody take the Lord's name in vain. And they get mad and oh my, and they let the Lord's name fly and other curse words. And, I, you know, it happens so much in our society now that it really, we just kind of take it for granted. And sometimes we don't even really think through, you know, what someone is saying. And, and uh, there's the other side of it where you have to understand, we understand that the people that haven't trusted in Christ and have rejected God, of course, they're going to not understand. Unbelievers are not going to understand the importance of God and, and who he is. But we still ought to pray, Lord, first of all, never let me be complacent. Let Never let me be okay 
with hearing your name taken in vain because you need to be so important and magnified in my life that that should always bother me. And Lord, help me to best deal with the situation. Maybe it's just an idea of, you know, um, I'm a believer and, you know, we love the Lord and so thankful. We, we were at church the other day praising the Lord's name and so grateful for that opportunity or, you know, you know, whatever. There are ways that you can let people know that God is important to you as they're taking his name in vain. Make them stop and think about that. Now, for me, I've, I've got it easy. A lot of times if I hear somebody do that and they and I haven't met them before and they say, hey, how you doing? And I say, hey, I'm, my name is Pastor Brock Maudsley. And, oh, sorry. <laughs> you know, and, uh, or sometimes they, they really don't say that as much anymore because they're just so used to doing it. But I've got a little bit of an advantage than you do. But folks, let's, my point is in practicality, when we see David telling us to make sure that we proclaim God's importance and greatness, Let's make sure that when we hear that taking of his name, that we don't get desensitized to it, that it bothers us. And we ask God what we can do about that. Well, we should worship God continually. Yes, but we should seek God, especially in times of difficulty, because we can be confident he will respond. And now the psalmist gives us a personal testimony in verses four through six, because David says, my experience is that God is always reliable. I sought the Lord, verse 4, and he heard me, or the idea really is he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. David has experienced the Lord's reliability. He seeks God, and God responds to him. And David is so thankful for that. And it says then, very important here, that he delivered me from all my fears. That word fears really has the idea of terrors. Remember that question I asked you at the beginning, what is your worst nightmare? What is your worst fear? Really, David is saying he has rescued me from my worst fears, from my terrors. And whatever tends to make us fearful and scared and intimidated, David says, seek the Lord. He will answer. And he will deliver you. Literally, the idea of snatch us away out of harm and evil. You know, the other opposite side of this, unfortunately, when I was younger, um, I, I got into a genre of media that I would never recommend today. And I would certainly, our young people, steer them entirely away from this. But that's the horror genre of books and movies and all that that entails. Um, it's dark, it's evil, and really it should just be something that our folks stay entirely away from. But here is why it is so disturbing. And, for me, and, and when I would allow these things into my life, why it, would, it, it was like an avenue of Satan directly <laughs> into my spirit to disturb me. Because folks, in all of these situations, whether it's films or whether it's horror movies or, or books written in this way, Really what it promotes is this one simple theme, life in which Satan triumphs, where Satan brings all sorts of fearful things into our lives and people are helpless to do anything about it or somehow by fate they might be able to conquer those things, but it takes God entirely out of the picture and makes Satan supreme. And folks, this is the ultimate lie and David dispels this lie 
that Satan and that evil are overwhelming and that terrors overwhelm us and that we can have no deliverance from them. No, David makes clear there is deliverance from the things that scare us and the terrors in our life. And the Lord can literally, he has full power. Don't live your life as if Satan is in full control and has the ultimate power. Live your life in the knowledge that God has power and he can snatch us away from those things of Satan those dark, evil things. The desperate and needy look to the Lord for help. And God never disappoints. And David says, um, they will be delivered from these things, from their terrors. And part of that being delivered from fear is just the reminder that God has overcome. And, And we talked about this today. Jesus has overcome Satan and death. And these things will be judged one day. And so then, verse 5, there's a beautiful picture. And so they looked unto him, those that were needy, those that looked to God for help. And when they looked toward him and asked him for help, it says here, they were lightened. This really means they were radiant. In other words, their faces are literally made radiant with joy. Here they are in fear and terror, and they look to God, and God shows them his power. David says, I looked to God, and he showed me his power, and it made my face radiant with joy. Their faces were not ashamed. They could be confident in God's deliverance. I love to watch these videos, of, and um, we have some friends um, that he, they live in California now, a young couple, and he's in the Navy, and they have these three beautiful little girls and a lot of times he's away and they will post she will post videos of when he comes back from an assignment and he comes through you know and you've seen this in videos where military um, members come home back to their families and sometimes it's kind of by surprise and it's in a gymnasium and there's and and the family doesn't know that their dad or their mom's going to show up and what is the look on the faces of these folks when that military family member shows up surprisingly and they get this look on their face of total shock and then it's like radiant with joy and in this video in particular every time this young lady posts this there's these three little girls and she focuses on their faces and then she goes around and shows their dad coming up and goes back and their faces just light up and they run and they grab him and they hug him it's it's beautiful it's radiant their faces with joy because the one that they love has returned. This is that picture that David is painting here, that we can turn to the Lord and have radiant faces of joy, knowing that he will deal with our problems. And then David gets really personal. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Um, David gets very real here in his testimony. And again, I'm not going to give away all the details, but in the midst of his trial with Achish, king of the Philistines, we're going to find out here soon. He is humbled and humiliated. In fact, he tries to deliver himself and and come up with a way for himself to, to get out of a jam that he's allowed himself into. And the Lord just gives him mercy and delivers him. And it's almost like even as I read this psalm, I can hear David saying, Poor man, man, I can't believe that I tried to go it alone. I'm so weak. 
I was so humiliated in that. That was such a foolish thing for me to try. And yet, you know what? The Lord still heard me and the Lord still saved me out of all my troubles. And he was at probably one of the lowest points in his life. And yet the Lord still responded to his cries for help and rescued him. You know, not too long before that, we've already talked about the situation with David and Goliath. That was David with God's strength in his life at his best, confident, ready to take on the Philistine. This situation is the exact opposite. David at his worst, at his most fearful, he's panicked and he's making wrong choices. And it's not, this gives us hope too, because it's not that God will intervene on those of us that get it all right and are always courageous and faithful. No, God will also intervene when we're foolish, when we don't always trust in the way that we should, but we call out to him and ask for his help. And whether we're confidently serving him faithfully or whether we're at a low point where we're doubting him and panicked about what's around us, God will intervene. God's mercy is not just for the courageous, but for the weak and fearful as well, as David reminds us. God helps us because we cannot help ourselves, not because we can. And David points this out, I think, to say this. If he could save me in the midst of some really foolish, dumb things that I've done, then he can save you too. He'll be able to do that. Spurgeon says this about this verse. At once and all together, David was clean rid of all his woes. The Lord sweeps our griefs away as the winds clear away the mist. This verse is the psalmist's own personal testimony. Let the afflicted reader take heart and be of good courage. And that's what this verse is there for, for us to be encouraged in that way. Well, we should also praise God for his provision. What were the two most important things to David as he's on the run here with his little band of marauders, so to speak, of desperate men? Two things were protection from the enemy, from King Saul, from the Philistines, and also supplies, provisions. And both of those are mentioned here. First of all, protection. David says, God has given us protection while we're on the run. The very angel of the Lord, verse 7, encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Now, the angel of the Lord, most of the time when it's mentioned in the Old Testament, do you know this? Is not just a messenger or an angel, but he's a very special person. The angel of the Lord, multiple times in the Old Testament, describes himself as God. And the angel of the Lord is described in such a way that he is a special messenger. My point is, is that from what we can tell, when the angel of the Lord is mentioned, many times he's the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. And I don't know for sure whether David, certainly David's not thinking of Jesus, but maybe the Messiah, I don't know for sure. But he knows that the power of the Lord, the angel, the the highest protection that God can give him will be with him and will deliver him. Now, does this remind you of another Bible story that's in our Old Testament? Remember Elisha's fearful servant and how he came to Elisha and said, Elisha, the the enemy and the armies are, are close by. They're coming up after us. And Elisha says, just calm down a minute. 
and he's there at the breakfast table. And I kind of imagine Elisha still eating his Wheaties or whatever, and whatever he's doing, it says, well, calm down a minute. I like calmness at my breakfast, still drinking my coffee here. And he just prays, Lord, show my servant who's really in control here. And the servant looks again, and he sees the angel of the Lord and the armies of the Lord encamped around. And it's almost like he just responds with, oh, okay, one other cup of coffee. And that's all it takes for him to be um, fearless. And so David's pointing out that he knows the armies of the Lord will protect him and deliver him. And so he says, you, he calls us to taste and see that the Lord is good, just as he has. Verse eight, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth, or the idea here really, take refuge in him. David says, this is my experience. You try it too. You won't be disappointed. We hear a lot of ads for a lot of different things over our lives and a lot of um, promises where the ad, or the, the device or whatever the product is supposed to meet all of our needs in so many different areas. But David is giving the ultimate advertisement or the, if I can put it this way, marketing pitch, whatever, saying you can fully trust in the Lord. Just try it. Just taste and see. And, you know, there's, I think there's a lot of our New Testament writers that think back to this psalm. A lot of these themes in this very psalm are things that uh, Paul brings up. And there is one passage in particular, Peter as well. First Peter 2, 1 through 3. I think he's thinking of this very psalm that David wrote. He says, wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Peter invites people to remember their um, provision from the Lord and uses the same terminology. David in verse 9 continues, O fear ye the Lord, or fear the Lord, ye his saints, those that are his, for there is no lack. There is no want to them that fear him. We have protection. We can take refuge. He will provide that. I experienced that. You can too. And he will give us provision. So we can proclaim him because of his protection. And we should honor him because of his provision in our lives. He says, there will be no lack. My God will supply all your needs. Remember Paul said that? Well, isn't that what David's saying here? The same thing. Same concept. And then he points out as we finish up in verse 10, the young lions do lack or they want and suffer hunger. Well, why would he bring that up? In fact, really what he's pointing out, this is not the norm. What do the young lions normally get? Whatever they want. <laughs> they, they can provide. They're very self-sufficient. They can provide for themselves. The older lions, if you've ever watched some of these nature shows, and as the lions get older, they're incapacitated and they eventually die because they can't provide for themselves anymore. <clears throat> but the young lions are the ones that have no want normally because they can provide. They can do what they need to get food and sustenance. But what's David saying here then? He's saying that in contrast to the Lord's provision even the young lions, those that are normally self-sufficient, maybe he's referring to the enemy that thinks they're so self-sufficient. 
that thinks that they can prey upon him. Maybe he's thinking about King Saul and King Saul's power that normally would be something that he would be fearful of. Maybe he's thinking of the Philistines' power. He was just delivered from the Philistines, probably what he's referring to. The young Philistine warriors, normally they would be um, people to be feared. And David says, no, they still, when it comes to the provision that my God gives me, they lack and they want and they suffer hunger. Because I have all the sustenance I need, the spiritual sustenance, the deliverance. But they that seek the Lord shall not lack, not want or not lack any good thing. So do we believe in what David is saying? Do we believe in the provision and the protection that his God brings? Is his God our God? If he is, then we can have confidence. And so, folks, go from here in confidence and not in fear and terror about what's out there because there's a lot of darkness out there. There is. So trust in the God of all provision and all protection. And let's go forward then praising him continually. Let's go out of here. Let's in this last song as Kurt leads it. Let's go with a song on our lips, ready to praise God because we know that he'll protect his people and be confident in that. Kurt.